The Ringer's music critic Rob Harvilla curates and explores 60 iconic songs from the 90s that define the decade. Rob is joined by a variety of guests to break it all down as they turn back the clock. Check out 60 songs that explain the 90s exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore. You are listening to Black on the Air, or welcome for the first time. This is your first time uh, choosing this podcast. I appreciate you dropping in on us. Um, We uh, always have a good time here. Some good conversations with everybody from politicians to entertainers to authors to uh, influencers, people doing all kinds of stuff in the world, athletes and uh, captains of industry, whatever it is, whatever I'm interested in, musicians also, even magicians. We had David Copperfield on last year. You never know what you're going to get in this little black on the air. And today, um, it's very, very uh, cool conversation with Alexis McGill Johnson. She's the head of Planned Parenthood. And that they are right in the eye of the storm of the event which has happened recently with the Supreme Court uh, decision being leaked or potential decision and all that stuff. So we had a good talk um, this morning about what's going on with that. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation. It's really going to be interesting to see what happens in the whole abortion issue. You know, a lot of it is law and decisions and that kind of stuff and Supreme Court rulings and, you know, all these things. But some of it, to me, is kind of philosophical, too, you know, because people that fight this, they have to use words. And so then they start arguing over words and terms, right? It's not just a clear-cut issue of things, you know. And one of the terms... um or I should say, I don't know if terms is the right word, but um, one of the issues I think that's going to be argued over is how we define the unborn child, let's say, inside of the woman. What do we call that? And what we call it can determine where the law goes or be one of the determining factors, you know. And... You know, it'll be interesting. Here's something. Yeah, sometimes what I like uh, for you guys to do is I just like to put stuff out there sometimes and say, let's let's kind of see where this goes. Like, I don't even necessarily have an opinion on this, but I am interested to see how this is argued. Um, and some of the terms you're going to hear, right? Uh, human life, potential human life, um, a person, an unborn 
an unborn person, an unborn citizen, a fetus, a viable fetus, a non-viable fetus. I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of terms that are going to be used sometimes interchangeably and sometimes to make a point. Here's the one that's going to be very interesting to me. I believe that people who call themselves pro-life, you know, or you could say anti-choice, however you want to say it, people that are against abortion, like for almost any reason, I think part of what they're going to do, and this is the part that's going to get kind of tricky, um, is try to give the unborn child, let's say, let's say unborn child, let's use that phrase. I know, it's funny that we have to think of what phrase can we use? You know, we could say fetus, you know, but let's say unborn child. That they want to give the unborn child um, person and citizen rights. I think there is a push to make an unborn child uh, to give them the same rights as someone that is born and someone that has citizenship rights based on being born. Now, I believe this is a problem. Um, I don't know, you know, a lot of it is uh, people are mixing their, I believe, religious morality and whatever their philosophy, philosophy is about this with reality. And... M- Thousands of years of precedent. You talk about stare decisis when it comes to court cases. Thousands of years of precedent when it comes to this. Thousands of years of precedent around the idea of what is a human life. Let's think of that. A human life has always been thought of as first breath to last breath. Or out of the womb into the dirt. Right? You know. When you are, you become a human person. This is this is not my definition. This is what the world has always said. Or you, let's say your life starts. Your life starts when you were born, and it ends when you die. When you take your last breath, right? People have thought this forever. When on tombstones, you always see date of birth, date of death. You never see date of conception, <laughs> date of death. You know. Um, because no one has ever thought that someone that hasn't been born yet has any rights as the same um, creature that has been born. No one has ever thought that. This would be a radical transformation in how we think. I mean, think of the 14th Amendment, for instance. 14th Amendment, part of the reason they had the 14th Amendment was to give uh, blacks that were born from slaves the right to be citizens you know it was a that's where the term birthright what is your birthright not conception right but your birthright the birthright gives you certain rights of citizenship when you are born here and even when we think of becoming president you know you have to be born in a certain place not conceived in a certain place You know, no one asks where you were conceived. They ask where you were born because we all accept the fact that that is when human recorded human life starts. And I'm talking about culturally. I'm not talking about scientifically. So one of the clashes that we might see 
is a cultural definition of what we consider life with perhaps a scientific definition of what people want to regard as a human life versus maybe a religious or a philosophical definition. There's like, there could be four clashes of definitions here about when we consider life starts. But I'm just bringing this up. When we want to talk, when people talk about stare decisis, which, you know, relates to the precedent of Supreme Court cases, right? Um, Something has been precedent for a while. We consider it, it's considered the law of the land, partly because of its precedence. Sure, things have been overturned in the past, but... You know, um, and there have been many customs, of course, that have been around for years and years, which, of course, have changed. You know, culture does change. So that's another way to look at it, too. You know, uh, slavery was around thousands of years. Doesn't mean it was good. Society changed, right? So you might throw that back at me. Well, so what, Larry? So what if we had this definition for a long time? You know, there's a lot of definitions we have for a long time. People change. All right. You're right. I'm just pointing that shit out. It'll be interesting to see where that goes, you know, and how it's used in the fights for things. Because I think it's a mess. Once you start giving um, unborn children the same citizenship rights as children that have been born. I mean, you talk about (laughs) opening up a hornet's nest of litigation and all kinds of things. It's just going to be crazy. But I feel like that's where people are going to try to make their case to ban abortion. So there you go. There's a battleground. I am uh, eyeballing a future battleground of how this is going to be fought. One of the, let's say one of the battlegrounds. So it's kind of interesting. I just, you know, guys, I have a lot of free time in my hand some, sometimes. Let's put it like this. When I have free time in my hands, because I don't have a lot of free time. When I have a lot of free time in my hands, I think about shit like this. Shit that probably nobody else thinks about, and probably for a pretty good reason. But this is the kind of thing I, sh- kind of thing that I think about. So um, that's what's coming. We're going to talk about that today, and you know, don't have a lot else to say on this. Um, I'll throw something out for Twitter. People that follow me on Twitter, um, I saw Paul McCartney in concert last night. For people that know me, I'm a big Beatles fan, love the Beatles. Um, I got hooked um, later, um, like after Lennon died, is when I got into the Beatles. Um, and I've been hooked ever since. I actually have Beatles friends, people that <laughs> we just discussed the Beatles. Uh, it was really good. So here's a question for all my Beatles uh, friends out there, people that I don't know are friends with yet, but the Beatles fans. Okay. First of all, uh, favorite Beatles album. All right. Versus best Beatle album. Ooh, there you go. So uh, tweet me your favorite Beatle album. And then also put what you think is the best Beatle album. And if you think they are the same. Okay. Now mine, I believe, mine are the same. I think. And I'm going to get a lot of pushback for this. So I don't care. But my favorite and the one that I think is the best (laughs) is Revolver. I just do, guys. I think Revolver is, well... It's my favorite, but I just think it's the best, too. I think it has the best of everything in it. And and it is a bridge from pre-Beatles to post-Beatles, even better so than Rubber Soul. Um, you know, Sgt. Pepper went a step further in some of the stuff. White Album 
you know, stands on its own. I think there's some flaws in the White Album, though. You know, to me, Revolver, solid all the way through. Taxman to Tomorrow Never Knows is pretty fucking solid. There you go. Drop a little Beatle stuff on you before we go here. Um, and uh, that's it. That's all I got. So stick around uh, for this um, pretty cool conversation with Alexis McGill Johnson. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's a pleasure, honor. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Man, you talk about being in the eye of the hurricane, and uh, especially this weekend and what's going on. So please welcome to Black on the Air, the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood, Alexis McGill-Johnson. Alexis, welcome. So great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. We're uh, recording this right now, Saturday morning, uh, May 14th. This is a huge weekend for for you right now. It's kind of a whirlwind, and I know you've got a big day planned, and we appreciate you taking the time to just talk about some of these issues that are in the forefront right now. And before we get into what's happening this weekend, I just want to get from you. First of all, what was your reaction when you saw this uh, so-called decision in the making, let's call it, about Roe and Casey? Yeah, I mean, look, when the draft opinion came down from the Supreme Court, I think, you know, first we were all shocked at how it came down. But, you know, even though we've been preparing for this for a long time, you know, as a as an organization, as a movement, uh, we've seen the number of uh, justices trans. Mm-hmm you know, transform the court um, to be more conservative. We saw the number of cases go through, you know, like we were prepared, but it's still shocking, right? It's still devastating to see it written. Think about the impact, right? The impact to people. Yeah, I I used the same expression last week, shocked and surprised, because even though it's a conservative majority, there was a conservative majority uh, when Casey was decided. You know, you had mostly a Nixon and Reagan appointed court. And we've had conservative majorities during the civil rights area, that were I should say that were appointed by, you know, Republican presidents, and you know things haven't always gone the way people thought. But I feel like we're in different times now. You know, there's there seems to be more agendas associated with the justices in our times rather than, you know, who knows what might happen. I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right, right? And when you think about how particularly the last three justices were appointed on the court, right? It, you know, because they have such a hyper-partisan process of pushing justices through. Um, actually, I would go back to Merrick Garland, right? Holding Merrick Garland's seat absolutely. before uh, Obama uh, was to leave office, I think was the beginning of um, a really challenging, you know, whether or not the, how the Supreme Court could be an independent body. And we're right to be concerned as we see the erosion of all of our democratic institutions at this point. Yeah, I feel like this was not an accident. Like, this isn't a case that happened to come up. I mean, we know that the activists who have been wanting to get rid of Roe have been working on this for 50 years, you know. But you're right, the modern Republican Party, led by Mitch McConnell, who I feel is a genius for their side, you know, because he made sure that every decision about judges was, I believe, for this particular issue and nothing else. What do you think about that? I think you're absolutely right. I think that he 
understood the vehicle that he had in President Trump. And he leveraged every single um, opportunity to push through this agenda. Right. And, and, you know, even when you hear from the um, anti-abortion activists, they, you know, they all held their nose and they voted because Mm -hmm. they knew what was to be delivered on the other side. Um, And I think that's, you know, it's a real function of how they have weaponized gerrymandering, the rules change um, to push through all of these various justices. And that's why we're here right now. Ginsburg uh, famously, I wouldn't say criticized Roe, but kind of pointed out what she felt was some of the flaws and how it was decided. Like a lot of people are looking at the decision itself, arguing that it shouldn't have been argued on the privacy clause, the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, and, and it should have been a gender equality issue. Are we seeing her words like kind of come to fruition? Now she was kind of right, right? It was, it's, it's kind of exposed, I guess. Well, you know, I mean, and, and you know, the other point that she made was that um, public opinion wasn't yet on on uh, the side yeah. of this issue. So we are well beyond public opinion, you know, 80% of Americans believing that Roe should be the law of the land. Um, but I think we are clear now that, that, you know, this was never a law that was grounded in equality. Mm-hmm. It was, it was right. grounded in privacy, in burden, uh, yes. to include safety and um, gestation. And I think at every every turn, the opposition has um, created mm-hmm. restrictions and bans related to each of those. What is powerful now, and I think what we thought, what we saw when they took up Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, is that they actually took up the central question, right? Mm-hmm. The unraveling of Roe um, begins with this case, regardless of whether or not they decide to overturn it or let the 15-week ban stand. Um, essentially, they are beginning to unwind it. And I think our opportunity is to actually think about, you know, where if if equality doesn't live in the Constitution, right, where where does it live? Right. Like, that's the question we have to be asking back to the court. I think what the left, the people who are on this side, I I personally don't believe it's a right left issue. I believe it's a human issue, human rights issue. I think the people who have been against this have really used language to their advantage and attacked things based on language a lot, you know. Uh, like viability is one of the things that the the Casey decision. I'm not an expert in this as you are, so if I get some of this wrong, I apologize. You know, but I but I think in the Roe decision, it was about trimesters. It was kind of a strict definition, and Casey kind of made it about viability. It opens itself open to technology that's kind of fluid. You know, because viability can change, you know, with with technology and science, right? Very admittedly, though, I mean, yeah. I think the, the real question is uh, for the for the case, right, is mm-hmm. when does the state, state's interest become more yes. compelling than the person's interest, exactly. right? Exactly, right. You know, and where I think the opposition would argue is where where does the federal interest um, over the state interest in making these decisions? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, there is a state's rights argument here that we should all be concerned about, about whether or not we should, you know, depending on what state, depending on what zip code you live, your state can determine whether or not you are free. And when I look at the state's interest piece, you know, I think it also raises this question, of who is best to make the decision, right? Is it me? Right. Mm -hmm. Or is it the lawmaker in the state house um, that you would trust this decision? You know, I would rather personally make a decision with my doctor, you know, with my partner, with my pastor, whoever I decide to bring into the conversation. It should be my decision and mine alone, um, not some lawmaker down the street, honestly. Is abortion the only medical issue that does not have privacy protection because of this? If this happens like that or Are there other medical issues that might be uh, related in this way? 
I can't think of any either. I I can't think of any other medical procedure Mm -hmm. that has been so overregulated by multiple states and by the, obviously the federal um, government. I think that the reality is the restrictions that have been put, not just on accessing abortion, but on abortion providers, on uh, patients, you know, we are now seeing the the extreme versions in uh, laws like in Texas Mm -hmm. um, with SB8 that has a bounty hunter provision to it so that empowers crazy. any citizen, right, to, to to get a $10,000 fee if they see that if they can prove that you've had an abortion after six weeks um, in Texas and now in Oklahoma, and it's spreading, you know, to Idaho and other states. There are also a lot of other um, restrictions that are being introduced in states like Missouri. Um, Missouri introduced um, a ban on on abortion for ectopic pregnancies, mm. right? So and like a, a fetus very dangerous to, yeah. in, in mm-hmm. dangerous for the for the for the fetus and for the parent right Absolutely. so like either way someone is going to um the idea that you would you would let the patient who's pregnant lose their life um because of the word like you know and banning whether or not you can leave the state like that's the thing that's crazy whether or not you can leave the state to seek access to abortion which is basically we're going to trap you in state like I don't even understand what that means. (laughs) I know, exactly. What? How's, like, instead of checking your passport, they're going to give you an ultrasound at the airport? Basically, or they're going to, you know, I mean, this is the same state, by the way, that where the state health commissioner was tracking Planned Parenthood patient periods to see whether or not patients were bringing their pregnancies to term. So, like, they have all of the mechanisms of, you know, fascism and authoritarianism out there ready and at their disposal, and they're you know, proven that they're willing to use it. How can a party and a side that seems to be so committed to individual liberty, you know, and so against government intervention in lives, be so committed to that at an extreme level on this particular issue? Yeah. How can a party that was so unwilling to wear a mask for <laughs> Right. Yes. Is that what you're asking? Yes, exactly. <laughs> What's going on? I like not I even, not even say like you got to have a vaccine, right? Not even say like like not even put a piece of cloth over your mouth, yeah. and yet you want to take a, oh. a vaginal probe oh. and put it all up in my body and tell me whether or not oh I can my have. God. It. That's what I'm talking about. Is it possible? One of the mechanisms would be to for Congress to pass legislation making abortion legal at the federal level. Is that possible right now? Did they just try something? And where, where do we stand there? Yeah, so um, so there has been a, a legislative vehicle called the Women's Health Protection Act. Okay. Um, the House has passed it. The Senate uh, took a vote earlier this year. It did not pass because mm-hmm. we don't have the filibuster um, reformed. Um, and so we need 60 votes in order to, to pass it. After this draft opinion was was leaked, the Senate took it up again just this week. Um, again, it did not pass because mm-hmm. it failed to get to the 60 vote threshold. But what it did do is actually put everybody on record, right? Every senator mm-hmm. is now on record whether or not they are willing to do something to codify Roe in federal legislation. And what we've also seen, I think it was somewhat missed last week during the draft um, opinion leaking, the opposition had announced that 15 week bans were not sufficient, that they actually really want a nationwide six-week ban, mm-hmm. right? So they basically want what's happening in Texas. Six weeks before most many people know that they're even pregnant, they want to already 
basically create a pre-war world. And so they are going to um, offer if they win the, you know, the Senate um, and the White House in 24, they will be using that six week ban as a litmus test for each candidate. Mm-hmm. And Connell, you know, as you said, the leader of the party has already indicated his willingness to support that. Um, so they're not just stopping here, right? They're not just stopping right. with Roe being overturned where, you know, you will have essentially 24 free states and 26 states that are not free. They want to impose a six-week ban in all 50 states. Um, and that's really the danger of what we are seeing. That's crazy. Um, okay, so what happens immediately? Let's say this decision goes through. I think it would be the end of June, we would find yeah. out. What what would happen immediately? And which states right now are the most aggressive? You mentioned Texas. And is it Mississippi that has the 15-week one? But but I think they have different things that are ready to go as well, right? So you're right. The the states have been um, emboldened. The state legislatures mm-hmm. have been emboldened by this court because they uh, see the obviously the writing on the wall. So what happens immediately if they if the decision is that they overturn Roe? Is there are about 10 to 12 states that have trigger laws on the mm-hmm. books that revert back to the pre 1973 law um, that was the federal protection that we received under Roe. So it means um, those states. If you have a 1931 law on the books wow. like Michigan that bans access to abortion, they basically go back to 1931. You have other states that are moving quickly to put such legislation um, in play. And that's how we get to the number 26. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of trigger law states, as well as states that have, have pushed other legislation to uh, ban abortion outright in their states. And then you have, you know, the other states that are, you know, looking to expand access. You know, California here has committed to identifying ways not only to um, um, expand who can offer services, um, abortion services, but also how to pay for them, right? Mm-hmm. Like these resources would be baked into the budget because, you know, even having a right doesn't necessarily mean that you have access to paying for it. We already know post Texas what people need, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen a thousand percent increase out of the state of Texas. We've seen people, you know, driving thousands of miles. Uh, they need gas money, right? They right. need hotel money. They need access to childcare um, because most people who uh, seek access to abortion are already parents, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there's just so much involved in, in a, a, a complicated patchwork of work that, that needs to happen in order to support people. And I know that you see this fight you've mentioned. I've read um, interviews that you've given where you see not just as a gender issue, but a racial justice issue as well. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, look, we live at the margins, you know, black people, people of color, uh, low income folks, we, we already live at the margins of so many different systems. Right. Mm-hmm. And we know like racism is a, is a public health care crisis. Transportation is a, is a racial crisis, you know, and then you see these bans um, and these targeted restrictions, particularly the ones that are criminalizing mm-hmm. are going to be born. We will be bearing the weight of those as well. Cause we already see the increased surveillance. We already see a governor, like um, the governor of Oklahoma talking about, he's going to use state troopers to stop people and pull folks over. So mm. it does become an even more intense uh, racial justice issue. Um, it becomes a challenge for immigrants, right? Who are undocumented, mm-hmm. who can't get from Texas to New Mexico without going through a checkpoint. You know, like these are the these are the kinds of circumstances that we're putting people who are already making um, a decision that may, you know, involve some emotions that, that already are living on the margins mm-hmm. and are already vulnerable. And we're going to layer on a set of laws that intensify all of that for them. It's just unconscionable. Oh, it's going to make stop and frisk a whole different uh, 
experience. Exactly. Nothing else just happened. I mean, it's yes, crazy. Exactly. You know, let me ask you this. If Here's what I don't understand. If 80%, this number has been put out there. If 80% of Americans support abortion, right? Where's mm -hmm. the disconnect? Like, why are we here? If we are to believe that number, how how are we in this position right now? So I, I love this question because it really does call us back to 2010. Mm -hmm. um, if you remember, Obama was elected in 2008. In 2010, we had those midterms, that Tea Party Congress that got ushered in. It was right around actually the same time that I got involved um, as a volunteer with Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. That Congress coincided with a um, with a census year, right? Mm -hmm. The year where they were drawing the census maps, right? And they were able to sweep those folks who who came in through the midterms were able to sweep not only Congress, federal Congress, but also state houses across the country. Mm -hmm. What they did with that process was they gerrymandered, you know, so many districts so that they would guarantee kind of majority control of state of many state houses across the country kind of a minority majority control right? exactly mm -hmm. exactly we have a tyranny of the minority and that's why they can be completely safely you know out of step with their constituents that they're supposed to represent mm -hmm. um, because they're they've, they're in safe secure seats are more people against abortion out there than are showing up in the polls is that also a thing like for instance you know we talk about the black community the black community is can also be very socially conservative, you know, mm -hmm. especially like on issues like abortion, because if they're going to say abortion or Jesus, sorry, got to go with Jesus. You know, <laughs> I mean, if you go to a black church, if that's the choice, you know, Jesus is going to win every day. Right. I mean, how how much is like, let's call it a, you know, sly or people that aren't really showing up in they're not really showing their cards, but maybe they're either not voting or not showing up or maybe voting against. Is that a factor at all or no? Well, look, I mean, first of all, I'm going to say as a black woman, as a woman of faith, um, that is not always the, the <laughs> choice. You no, can no, choose. no. You cannot say Jesus is losing in any battle in the black church, Alexis. I don't care no, what you no, say. No, Jesus I'm is not going to lose. You can choose Jesus <laughs> and you can choose, choose, you know, and you can exercise your conscience by right. yourself because that's exactly I agree Jesus. with you. I agree with you, by the way. And right. we've seen the polling support that, right? The uh -huh. polling actually has seen an increase in support um, of no restrictions among um, black community mm -hmm. over the last decade so um you know there may be a few hotep brothers out there yes. who are saying other thing but that is not um the majority because we understand uh, the we understand the impact right um that's why we know, that's why we have a black jesus that's why know? yes right, right. <laughs> the wino, black right? jesus understands things that white jesus just has just isn't on board with it. he just doesn't that's get right. it but it's not we don't blame white jesus for it he just you know what are you gonna do that's right <laughs> I'm taking Alexis down roads where it's like, Larry Wilmore, what are you doing? We're talking about black Jesus and white Jesus. Now. But as someone who also grew up with black Jesus on the wall, yes, thank, you very Obama, much. thank you very much. <laughs> you know, I also know that this hasn't been a central voting issue, right? Hmm. Like I, your point of like, are people hiding, right. you know? Uh, out, it, it is. It has been because we've assumed that the right was codified, right? We thought the right existed. It mm -hmm. wasn't something that we ever would come to this day to see. Right. It's interesting because for the last week prior to the to the leak, our job for the last couple of months has been to close the believability gap. Mm, interesting. What do you mean by that? The believability gap. I like that phrase. Yeah. Well, our our polling showed that um, even with Texas, right? We're nine months into Texas. Mm -hmm. Even with Texas basically being a post row world, even with all of these. Crazy 
crazy restrictions coming up. 80% of people believing Roe should be the law of the land. Only 30% of people actually thought that Roe was going to be overturned in this case. Mm -hmm. Like all the signs were pointing towards yes. And they were like, nope, not going to happen. Right, right. And so, you know, I would argue that part of that believability gap um, actually has to do with um, what we were talking about before, that there's an empathy gap, mm. right? The people who are most harmed um, aren't the people who, you know, can fly their child from home from school, right? Or get on a plane to, you know, San Francisco and have a, a medical vacation abortion, right? Mm -hmm. They're the people who are most impacted and, and their stories aren't, um, aren't seen in the same way. Mm. And so people didn't believe it was going to happen or happen to them. And they just, you know, hadn't been voting on it. How big do you think uh, this will wake some of those people up for the midterms? Because before it seemed like, Good luck, Democrats, you know, and the left. But I think this could, you know, slap some people in the face in that believability. It's like it's past believing like it's here. And what are we going to do about it? Oh, 100 percent. Look, I think that, first of all, the polling is is pretty clear that this will be the number one issue going into the election. Wow. And it is also, you know, we always say the economy is a, you know, is the driver, is mm -hmm. the economy stupid. But this is also an economic issue. Absolutely. Right? I mean, people into pregnancy and also more likely to force them into poverty, not just for their family, but for generations. Right. right? So like, here is that. We also see them kind of trying to figure out, trying to focus on the leak and not on the substance yes. of the decision. Exactly. Because they don't know how to have this conversation about it. We see, you know, Republican women, um, you know, talking about how they're like, you know, wait a minute, you know, like waking up because they, they this has always actually been a bipartisan issue yeah. for decades. And now they're waking up and saying, OK, wow, this is really happening. So I, so we believe it is going to be a, a huge issue going into the midterms. Um, we're we're going to certainly fight like hell to make sure it is mm -hmm. and that we keep it. You know, like my job as the head of the action fund is to make sure every legislator who opposes women's health is, you know, going to eat this for breakfast every single day in every town hall and every meeting, because that's the only way that we can actually really regain um, power and rebuild the right. Have you at Planned Parenthood, like what is the plan to actually help women who may live in some of these restrictive states? Is there, can Planned Parenthood do anything in that sense? Or does that have to come from people directly? So our job as a um, healthcare provider mm -hmm is to ensure that we are getting patients, you know, the access and the care that they need. And so we've set up regional logistics centers that help um, patients, you know, help the operations with our affiliate health centers that are going to see a surge because people are traveling mm -hmm. so quickly. And we're also helping patients navigate there so they can go on to abortionfinder.org. It's a little bit like, you know, hopefully it'll be something like, um, like a kayak, you know, mm -hmm. for abortion services mm -hmm. where people can kind sure. of click in and um, figure out where's the best appointment and the best route to get there, where to stay, you know, all of those things. So we're bringing together partnerships um, with abortion funds, um, working with other independent providers and our local affiliates to make sure that we are, you know, first and foremost, meeting the care or meeting the, you know, the patients where they are. And then, mm. you know, on our political side, you know, our advocacy side, we'll be fighting, you know, state by state. Tell us what is the uh, rally that's going on this weekend? Is that part of it? And off our body. Yes. Um, look, these these restrictions are bans. They 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 um, these restrictions are 
um, bands that prevent us from, you know, full autonomy and control of our bodies. Like these, they, they, they put them in the guise of like, they're about kind of medical safety um, and, you know, protecting um, uh, the patient um, when in fact they're about shaming patients, they're about shaming providers um, and restricting our, you know, they're essentially about power and control. So we're just, you know, out rallying, we're expecting um, over 100,000 people today in uh, Los Angeles and um, 200 um, actions across the country, we'll see similar, you know, um, numbers of folks who are just fed up and they're like, we are not going back, right? We are not going to back down. This is not the time. We've enjoyed this right for 49 years. Um, and now it's time for us to, to step up um, and show out. How did you become involved in Planned Parenthood? You said 2010 was when you yeah. uh, first joined. How did that happen? Well, you know, I'd spent a career in organizing and, and as a researcher doing a lot of work around um, youth voting. I worked with Diddy back in the day. I, ran- I saw her. <laughs> Russell said, you were in like hip hop. Uh, I, I am hip hop. I still am. I know. Um, but it was really about like kind of organizing, you know, our power. And mm-hmm. and I honestly didn't have a, um, a strong gender lens in my own work. And I mm, happened to be walking. Yeah. I mean, I happened mm-hmm. to be walking down the street and I saw this billboard with this young black girl's face on it. And I looked up and I was like, oh, what's she selling? She's so cute. <laughs> the words under the bill under her face said the most dangerous place for an African American is in the womb. Mm. And I just, it just pissed me off so much. I couldn't stop talking about it. And I found my way onto the board and found my way into leadership. And I found a fight that I really wanted in on. And then we had a, a transition and I stepped in to support the organization and here I am still here. I love how the attack on black women in this is like, and some of this is from black conservatives also, you know, like isolating black women as some bad actor in this that needs to be reprimanded you know, or yeah. whatever, you know, stop stopping all these black people from coming into the world. And it's like, I'm speechless when I see those types of things, just as you were seeing a poster like that. No, I mean, it's almost like we're damned for our reproductive choices and we're damned, you know, regardless of what choice we make, right? We have children, there's no safety net, right, to support us. They're not expanding Medicaid. They're not investing in education. You're just a welfare mom. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then if you choose not to, you know, have, um, you know, continue the pregnancy. Your first problem was being black. (laughs) You should have done something about that. That's right. Exactly. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, you can see where I am on it. <laughs> People should not think that the future of Planned Parenthood is in peril here with this type of thing. I mean, how, how can we protect, uh, like, clinics and that type of thing, things that maybe don't have national affiliations? Are those in crisis right now as well? Yeah, I mean, look, first of all, Planned Parenthood has been around for 105 years. We are not going anywhere. Uh, we're the only um, sexual and reproductive health care provider and only health care system that is, has presence in all 50 states. Mm-hmm. Um, and people come to rely on Planned Parenthood, not just for access to abortion, but for you know, birth control, for STI testing, for gender affirming care, for behavioral health, mental health. So we are going to stay as a critical part of the public health infrastructure. And it is important to continue to support, you know, your local health centers, your local Planned Parenthoods, mm-hmm. local abortion providers. Um, you know, you can go to Keep Our Clinic, 
Org to check out kind of the work that they are doing, support abortion funds that are helping people get to the resources to get people out of state. You know, there's a there's a big broad ecosystem. There's a big movement around this um, this work, um, and mm-hmm. it is a piece of it, a big piece. But it is really important that we make sure the entire ecosystem is resourced and supported. I wonder if, like, you know, you're talking about, you know, I mean, they're basically going to criminalize being a woman in some of these instances. But but let's think about this. What happens when women actually get arrested or go to prison for having an abortion? To me, it's like, if this is the road you want to go down, this is a very dangerous road, you know, of the people on that side, where I think overwhelming public sentiment could really snap against this. Yeah. So we actually saw uh, a young woman by the name of Lizelle Herrera in Texas um, Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago before the draft opinion um, was leaked, who was arrested um, for her miscarriage, right? Mm, That... I can't even believe that. That this is the situation you're putting medical providers right. in as well, right? If the, if the currency of healthcare is trust, right? You want to be able to trust your provider. I want. I need to be able to tell you everything, you know, that is going on with me, including if I've taken medication, abortion, um, because I need you to have all the information to take care of me. And so, what this kind of overturning reversal of Roe would it will do is it will mm-hmm. challenge the relationship between um, the patient and the provider. It will mean that the patient may not um, want to be forthcoming. It means that the providers may be worried about providing care because they're worried about, you know, their own personal liability. And, um, you know, and I think that's the right question to ask, right? Forget Mm -hmm. about whether or not you believe when this, this is when conception begins or not, you know, Mm -hmm. how are we actually going to operationalize this enforcement? What is it going to mean when you say, I'm going to keep you in, I just found out you're pregnant and now you are not allowed to cross the state boundaries. Or if you do, there will be a penalty awaiting you when you come back. How, what is it going to mean if I present with a miscarriage? Who is going to, you know, what kinds of questions am I going to be asked in, in, in ways that are going to, again, compromise my relationship with my healthcare provider um, and all the people around me, right? We saw this. We've seen this right now in Texas. Patients who are traveling by themselves because they are so afraid that if they tell anybody or bring anybody along on a journey that they will be criminalized because they have aided or abetted, you know, um, you know, because there's so much confusion about the law. Um, mm. And so, you know, it is that isolation that we're forcing on people at a time of, of medical need is, is just horrible. And I think those are the questions that we have to be asking. So how long before real action can happen on this? Because as we were saying, we have midterms coming up, this decision with the majority court you know, Amy Coney Barrett, Kavanaugh, these people are going to be on the court for the next 40 years. Yeah. It's a generational. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, you know, people are being chosen at such a young age now is not a mistake either. Thank God. It's like, I know, you know, thank God she, she could be on there for a long time too. But what is the hope that we can have that something can happen realistically in the near future? Or is this going to be something that we may not be able to do anything for maybe the next five or 10 years? Well, I mean, look, I think our our, our best hopes are to expand the Senate majority, right? So that mm-hmm. uh, we do get some federal legislation that helps codify Roe uh, and reduce the restrictions in these states. And that's a short term, you know, say, because federal legislation, as you know, could also be overturned by another administration. So it is important 
important that we actually, you know, if we get kicked out of the constitution, we got to find a way back in mm-hmm. There are bigger questions, right. Around, you know, to your, one of your earlier questions, right. Around where, where does equality actually right. live? If Roe wasn't good in equality mm-hmm. and the constitution is the document that guarantees our equality. Right. Um, and if we get kicked out, like, you know, then basically telling me I am not a free and equal citizen. So those are the kinds of questions that we need to be asking. Um, we need to be seeing what what would an actual equality amendment look like? What would mm-hmm. be one that is expansive, inclusive um, and transformative and guaranteeing that, you know, how we express ourselves and our bodies and our self-determination is supported um, by the U.S. Constitution. That's that's essentially where, you know, what the long game is. Um, and until we get there, you know, we're going to be organizing state by state. We're going to have to go to direct democracy because we can't um, count on some of these state legislatures to do the work that we need them to do. It means mm-hmm. that we're going to have to, you know, host ballot initiatives like we are in Michigan. Um, it means that we're going to, have to push back on on other um, initiatives like in in Kansas that's trying to take away the right out of the Kansas uh, Constitution. And so it's going to be a, a big long game to ensure to minimize the number of states where people are not living free lives. The Equal Rights Amendment when was it put forth in the early seventies, <laughs> I believe, and it's still like hanging out there. <laughs> you know, it's still hanging out there. Would the ERA have helped in this arena at all, or did it? Did it address any of this? Well, look, I mean, we still have to pass the year. That's what I mean. <laughs> right, it still exactly. hasn't passed. Um, I think we can we can even go stronger. I think we need the ERA end, right? I think that we need to make sure okay. that we are guaranteeing equality and also um, you know, ensuring that bodily autonomy is also a key piece of self-determination and, and making sure mm-hmm. that we can move forward. I think, you know, we have to think about equality as well in terms of some of the other attacks that we are going to see, particularly if the 14th Amendment um, is eroded with this decision, right? Like there are lots of other, you know, marriage equality, right? Inter- interracial marriage, you know, Clarence and Ginny, I don't know what, you, what you're thinking about right now, because like, seriously, you got all of these mm-hmm. rights um, tied up in um, in 14th Amendment due process. So, you know, I think it is important for us to be thinking mm-hmm. um, more expansively around identity and equality where that actually does live. Uh, the decision claims not to be a threat to those other decisions, which, you know, Obergefell and, you know, Loving and some of those which were based in the same type of, of clause in 14th Amendment. Are we to believe that? I mean, or should people be... Should people be truly concerned or is it eh, kind of a scare tactic on this side of the aisle? I mean, if we're keeping it real, do we th- do we real do we think there's a concern to that? Keep, let's keep it real, Larry. No, let's keep it real. We have three Supreme Court justices who sat up in front of us and said they believed in star- starry decisis, right? right. That they believed in precedent. Although we know we know precedent has well go ahead no, i'm saying like like so should we believe it you know i think it it, it begs the question right that, that right. They, they said they <laughs> yes. believed in precedent and we're talking yes. 49 years of precedent and right. you know um and so i think you know leto is being clever in writing it in that way but mm-hmm. you know when you see the number of restrictions that will you know the the mechanism is there now right they will have proven a model course they're going to come for you know other things like uh, marriage equality i mean it's it that's what the playbook is yeah it's tough with stare decisis because i think plessy versus ferguson when i hear stare decisis you know which was law of the land for like 50 years yeah. you know and like there's always another 
argument, <laughs> you know, that kind of undermines and- things. Here's what I feel. I feel like we're going to need a Rosa Parks. We're going to need a case. Like going back to Roe or Casey, I don't know if we can do that. I feel like we're going to need a new case. That's what I mean about if a woman gets arrested for having an abortion, to me, that's going to shake everything up. You know, do you think we need a new case that's argued a little more airtight here that, you know, is really going to put people's feet to the fire? Yeah, yes. And I think that the um, so I'm going to go back to Plessy for one second, because yes. you're right that yes, Plessy ma'am. stood for, um, you know, for uh, many decades and was overturned by Brown versus the Board of Education. However, what we're talking about here, and, and Sam Alito was clever, again, to throw that up in, in his draft opinion, um, to act like a civil rights hero. But but the reality... <laughs> I don't think so. But the reality is, this is more like Plessy overturning Brown than Brown overturning Brown. Sure, right? sure. In the way that it occurs. I, yeah, I it, completely it's agree taking with you. away a right. Absolutely. And so, That's exactly so right. So to your point on like, do we need a Rosa Parks? You know, we need um, we need a set of Rosa Parks because they're, they, they will, it will be about criminalizing the patient. It will be about, you know, as they have criminalizing the, the provider. I think that's where they've gained the most traction. They don't want to make a patient a Rosa Parks. They want to make the provider the enemy. They right. want to take away those abilities. So, yeah. They want the rights of the bus first over <laughs> Rosa Parks. <laughs> the bus has rights over Rosa Parks in this situation. Gentlemen, I see the floor to no one in this argument. <laughs> I think you're right. I also think, you know, I keep saying we need a Rosa Parks, but we also need like, you know, uh, a Darth Vader, right? <laughs> like we need a, you know, somebody who's at like some dark arts, you know, like somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. I think you're right about that. We're going to need some serious dark arts. Well, look, we only have a limited time. I really appreciate you uh, being here, Alexis. I know you have a busy weekend. Just one last question, and I think you've covered a little bit of this, but I just want to just clear for everybody. What can the ordinary citizen that maybe hasn't been involved in these types of things, how can they feel like they're doing something to kind of help this, you know? Well, look, I think to the extent that you can support, please do, you know, again, mm-hmm. organizations like our local Planned Parenthood health centers that are providing care on the ground and independent providers and funds are really good starts. Um, to the extent that you can volunteer, all of those organizations need support as well. And we will need to get care to people and people to care, right? So think right. about yeah. how you will engage um, there. Um, that is um, incredibly important important. Keep this issue alive in your community, your networks and friends. There's no better validator than the opinion of your friends, right? Talk mm-hmm. about it in the barbershop, right? Like talk about it with, with all of your, you know, your, your friends and networks, you know, I mean, I would love to see men understand and engage mm. in the conversation where they understand, you know what? Equal rights for women is actually sexy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like that, the empowered woman, you know, like somebody who supports abortion rights. Like to me, that's saying like, you know what? You believe that I'm free. You believe I'm free. So it's like, okay, man, what do you think? The butt or the legs? Is that nah, man, equal rights. That's the sexiest part of it. So, you know, I think having those conversations and being included, right? For your children, for your sisters, for your mom, like all of that, you know. Um, And then, of course, like, you know, we need to show up this this Mm -hmm. season, right? We need to show up in state houses. We need to show up in November. We need to make sure that everybody understands what's at stake um, and and to be prepared for the long game, right? This is not Mm -hmm. something that's going to be won overnight, just as they haven't won overnight. 
but their arc is ending right. and ours is beginning. And so I think that that is actually where um, I would love to see people stay. I do have hope for this. And I agree with you. It's also, it's a short game and a long game. And I think we may see a canary in a coal mine situation, you know, one of these cases that are going to, right. you know, it's going to make people rethink a lot of these things. Even people who call themselves pro-lifers like, all right, well, we're going to really ask some tough questions here about that, what that really means, yep. you know, and boom, we'll see. Alexis uh, McGill Johnson, it's so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I'm such a big fan. Uh, I'm a fan of you and your organization. I'm putting it out there, keeping it 100% real, you guys. I'm a big fan of this. There's so many women, I, I think especially poor women, who are hurt the most out there and that these laws are so cynical against poor people. And what it does. And I can't, I just can't stand that. And then just think it's awful. Thank you so much for giving us your time today and good luck with everything this weekend. Appreciate it. Thank you for your support.